Campsite Media. This episode contains some references to violence that listeners might find disturbing. Please listen with care. To be honest, I'm scared. I'm more scared of Morimoto than I am of the Yakuza. I mean, he must be the most invincible man in Japan. Uh, the police can't lay a finger on him, and neither can the Yakuza. There's no way my missing accountant is the most invincible man in Japan, but he has been hard to find. We needed more leads to talk to more people who knew Morimoto well. Morimoto's former client, he's the security guy from episode one, he knew someone caught in Morimoto's web of lies and deceit. With just a brief phone call and an email, we ended up sitting across from Murata-san, Morimoto's former boss. And wow, he had a story to tell. That is, as soon as he got the hang of the pseudonym we were using. That's Murata-san. He's trying his best to adjust to Morimoto's pseudonym. It's kind of hard to call someone you've known for years by a different name. I explained that I wanted to protect Morimoto's identity, despite what had happened. I don't hold a grudge. Murata-san agreed to meet us at his accounting firm near Otemachi. His firm is the third company that Morimoto worked at as an accountant, and the last, as far as we know. His staff led us into your standard, soul-sucking corporate meeting room, bare walls that used to be white, a table made of fake wood and plastic, fluorescent lights that made the back of your eyes ache. One of the employees brought us green tea and paper cups and fidgeted with his tie while we waited for Murata-san to come in. Murata-san walked into the room full of energy. He's on the smaller side with a pleasant oval face, understated charm. He looked to be about 50 years old and was dressed sort of business casual. His shirt looked freshly starched and he had the vigor of a cheerful boy scout, one who was actually proud to wear the uniform. The firm that I used to work at is actually the biggest firm in Japan. When I was working there, it went through a merger and that's when... Ah, sorry, Morimoto? Sorry, uh, I'm so bad at this. Murata-san first met Morimoto as his subordinate at a large accounting firm. They both ended up leaving the firm at some point. Murata-san left about 10 years ago to start his own accounting firm, and Morimoto quit to work at another one. Murata-san would have all but forgotten about Morimoto, except that one day, in early 2017, Morimoto applied for a job interview at his company. Employers in Japan usually see it as a bad thing when a potential employee has switched companies so many times. But things are apparently a little different in the accounting world. And it's seen as a pretty normal thing to do. So the work at any accounting firm is basically the same, and there's a lot of overtime work. And a lot of people have a side hustle. I think it's pretty common for people to change jobs every couple of years. Murata-san asked Morimoto about it in the job interview. And Morimoto gave the typical answer, that the pay was bad at his last job, and Murata-san's firm paid employees a higher-than-average salary. And so, I didn't suspect anything fishy about him. Morimoto seemed like an excellent candidate. He had a lot of experience. He had a lot of loyal clients, people who trusted him and had been with him for years. We were all charmed by Morimoto. He's smart, good-looking guy, so maybe customers thought he was cool. And he was tall. Again, with the height thing. And he seemed to really charm the clients. He came across very well. 
There was just one thing that bothered him about Morimoto. He'd wear this awful cologne. And on top of this, body odor. I just really hated how he smelled. Kind of a low blow, but it caught my attention. It reminded me of something the building attendant and Morimoto's last known address had told us at the Shinjuku High Rise. He said that Morimoto vanished from his apartment without a trace, except for the lingering smell of men's cologne and body odor. There was something a little strange about him. Murata-san hired Morimoto immediately, and Morimoto's faithful clients followed him to Murata-san's firm. It was a decision he would come to regret, but not nearly as much as the regret Murata-san feels, even all these years later, for getting involved with Morimoto in the first place. From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Gone with the Gods, Season 1 of The Evaporated. I'm Jake Adelstein. And I'm Shoko Planbeck. Episode 4, Pay or Sink. At first, Morimoto was a good employee, well-liked, competent, and doing everything he was supposed to do, at least when he was at the firm. Morimoto had loyal clients like myself who didn't really enter Murata-san's sphere. He had some clients he took care of without my supervision. Accounting is unique that way. That's probably why he was able to pull off what he did. Morimoto could work around some of his professional deficiencies. Morimoto, he didn't have a license. Murata-san knew that from the beginning. And if you remember, it's actually pretty common in Japan for accountants to not have a license. You're allowed to work without one. They're like paralegals and that they do a lot of the same work as their better paid bosses. However, they lack the authority that comes with having the full license to work in that field. So not having one didn't make him a bad accountant, but Morimoto still lied about it to make himself seem more qualified than he really was. Morimoto was like that. He knew what to say to people, or in some cases, what not to say. He would never ask me for anything directly. He would have other employees ask on his behalf. He was such a good manipulator. Compared to asking me directly, I'm always going to be more likely to say, yes, I understand, whatever he needs. Morimoto always seemed to know just how much he could get away with. And he knew how to avoid suspicion until it was too late for the victims to realize what he had done. When he asked you for the loan, didn't he explain why he needed it? Uh, yes, he said it's because he was moving. Right, so he asked for a loan from Murata-san. You might be thinking, what kind of boss in his right mind lends money to an employee in the first place? But it's more common here than you'd think. In Japan, it's not unusual to see someone working at only one or two companies for their entire career. They're in it for the long haul, which means that the dynamic between the boss and the employees can reflect that commitment. It can be very personal. Shoko, don't punch me for making this comparison here, but it's like the Oyabun and the Kobun in the Yakuza. The Oyabun is the father. The Kobun are the children. It's a very paternal relationship. I think that's true in the business and in the political world sometimes. In rare cases, that can mean financially supporting the employee, especially for major adult milestones like marriage, down payments for big purchases, starting a family. I mean, it goes without saying that the employee is expected to pay it back, which puts the bosses at ease when they're lending money out of their own pockets. Morimoto knew this, and he decided to take advantage of it. 
Ah, so he said he was going to move and he was thinking of getting married. That's probably what convinced me to loan him the money. Murata-san lent him one million yen, about $10,000. And let me spoil the ending for you a little bit. He hasn't seen a cent of it back. I think it's hard not to blame yourself if someone you hired stole $10,000 of your money. You might even drive yourself crazy looking for the signs you missed. Murata-san said that the first sign of trouble was when he got a call from a lawyer only one month after Morimoto joined the firm. The lawyer didn't say much, just that he was working for Morimoto's previous company. But he wanted to know where Morimoto was and whether or not he had been doing anything suspicious, like stealing from the company. But when Murata-san confronted Morimoto, he wasn't flustered. He seemed exasperated and apologetic. So I told him that this lawyer had called me looking for him. And Morimoto explained that his old firm had been harassing him for stealing clients and taking some documents when he left. He said he'd make sure I didn't see any blowback. So I was like, thanks for being so considerate. So basically, he's a pathological liar. I even told him if they called again, I'd cover for him. Murata-san did his best to help Morimoto. He probably felt sorry that his new employee supposedly had such a shitty ex-employer. And Morimoto did seem to be working hard, but oddly enough, he never actually brought in that much money. Maybe about $1,000 each month, if that. Turns out, there was a reason for this. The bank transfers were directed to his personal account. Of course, that was done without my knowledge. He arranged that on his own. Generally speaking, that's not above board. And a lot of things didn't quite sit right looking back now. Like the fact that he didn't even file his own annual tax return, which, funny enough, made me feel a little better about mine. I guess even accountants hate doing taxes. But Morimoto was getting paid to do these things, and he just wasn't doing them. Shit started to hit the fan about six months after he came to the firm. Morimoto's clients started to show up angry, demanding to speak to him. He had been ignoring emails and missing phone calls. Morimoto would get chewed out right in the middle of the office. And as his boss, Murata-san had to take responsibility and apologize as well. Mm, Did someone come into the firm demanding to see Morimoto as though he owed them some money? Yeah, some guy stormed in and stashed his watch. Shoko, doesn't it seem like he's a little too excited about this one? Anyway, the incident left quite an impression on Murata-san, and I don't blame him. Back in January 2018, a man walked into the office. He came pretty late in the day, around 7 or 8. And there was nothing unusual about him. Nothing about him screamed, well, you know. No scars on his face, no missing fingers. Murata-san at first thought he was just a run-of-the-mill, talkative salesperson. Until he explained why he was there. Or more accurately, until he blew up at Murata-san. Morimoto had been dodging this client's calls while still charging him for work he was not doing. And this guy wasn't going to leave until he got his money back. Murata-san had to call Morimoto into the office. Miraculously, he showed up. For the most Morimoto reason you could expect. So, it was like 9 p.m. This guy's absolutely tearing into me. So I call Morimoto, like, hey, you've got to come deal with this guy. And you want to know why he even came? Because he had just asked me to loan him some money. If this sounds familiar, it's because Steve and Julie told us a version of it in episode one. 
They said Morimoto was always wearing a big, fancy-looking watch that his client basically ended up ripping off his wrist. But according to Murata-san, this flashy, expensive-looking watch was basically worthless. I mean, it was pricey, but it wasn't a Rolex. It was worth less than $1,000, which is barely a fraction of what he owed. But the client was desperate. He knew Morimoto well enough to know that it wasn't going to be easy to get his cash back, and he wasn't afraid to use a little force. He said, we're heading to your parents' house. Now. At this point, it's 9 or 10 at night, and he loaded Morimoto into a car and just drove off. This is not the kind of thing you want going on at your respectable workplace. But the weirdest part of it was that Morimoto was nonchalant about the whole thing. Afterwards, he said that nothing had happened after he got in the car. Just your average salary man's overtime shift, no biggie. Now, Murata-san knew something was up. He made his own house call to Morimoto's parents. Can you imagine going to your employee's parents' house unannounced under those circumstances? When Murata-san showed up wanting to talk about Morimoto, the family basically slammed the door in his face. They told me that they want nothing to do with Morimoto. They said, at this point, it's not our problem. There was something off about everything. Morimoto was clearly lying about the extent of his troubles. At this point, his clients were angry enough to basically abduct him. His own family had disowned him. He was in serious debt, and not just to everyone who had been stupid enough to have taken pity on him. And his job, well, Murata-san obviously had to fire him now. The day I fired Morimoto, I told him, you've crossed the line way too many times and I will tell your parents what you've done, and I'll turn you over to the police. One way or another, you'll have to take responsibility. I was yelling at him like this, and he kept on apologizing, but towards the end, he suddenly just said, all right, fine, whatever, do whatever you want. <laughs> I thought, this guy's beyond help. The next day, Morimoto packed up his desk, hauled his documents into a rental car, and Murata-san never saw him again, at least not in the flesh. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to True Spies, the podcast that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time. Suddenly out of the dark, it's appeared Bin Laden. You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Vengeance felt good. Seeing these people pay for what they'd done felt righteous. True Spies from Spyscape Studios, wherever you get your podcasts. I haven't been able to get a hold of him at all. Not at all. Not at all. Murata-san's last contact with Morimoto was on February 2nd, 2018. Morimoto disappeared just about a month later on March 5th, 10 days before taxes were due. While I was freaking out about my taxes and my shoebox, Murata-san received a call from the lawyer, the same one who had called Murata-san just a few months before. 
At first, I assumed that the lawyer was calling me about the documents Morimoto took. But he started pressing me about his whereabouts. I was like, I can't get a hold of him either. What's he done now? That conversation is very familiar. I wonder how many more of his clients were on the phone with each other that week, trying to find answers. Murata-san was obviously worried about his own money, but he barely had time to worry about that, not when clients of his business were trying to get their money back, and they were coming to Murata-san to collect. Now, Steve and Julie said that they found out Morimoto was in Shinjuku from Murata-san before Morimoto disappeared. But Murata-san remembers it differently. As far as he knew, Morimoto was living with his parents, and it was quite the shock when he found out otherwise. Right. I guess he was living in a luxury high-rise. The management company calls me looking for money, demanding I pay the back. And I'm like, he just works here. I'm not his guarantor. They were just flipping out. In Japanese, that loosely means, isn't this just one big mess? Seriously, it was such a mess. Murata-san was worried about the clients. He was the boss. He was in charge. So they were coming to him, demanding answers. But he didn't have any of the money to give back to them. Because Morimoto had embezzled it into his personal account. And it turned out that Morimoto hadn't just pulled that stunt at Murata-san's firm. He did the exact same thing at the last firm he worked at. And at the one before that. In hindsight, it wasn't a surprise he was embezzling here, too. But it was Murata-san at the end of the line holding the proverbial hot potato. So he had to pay back Morimoto's clients. And some clients, they didn't want their money back. They just wanted their taxes done. So Murata-san had to take care of those accounts, personally and for free. There was one client who Murata-san had to deal with, even though this client got his money back from Morimoto himself. And to give you an idea what this guy was like, he got it by holding Morimoto captive. He was the only person who caught Morimoto. He took him to Tokyo Bay and gave him an ultimatum. You either pay me back or you sink. Which is it going to be? And so he was the only one who got his money back. Damn it, Jake. Why didn't you think of that? If I knew he was going to run, I could have tried. Actually, when the boss told us that story, I was trying to remember, do people actually get thrown into Tokyo Bay? So I did a hard drive search and found this lovely entry from my diary when I was still on the police beat. September 12th, 2003. A body showed up on a Tokyo wharf. First reports were of a guy in black shorts and a black t-shirt. As the reports came in, it became clear that he was also wrapped in chains, weighted down, and stabbed in eight places. Looked like a homicide. Hmm, definitely doesn't seem like a suicide. Well, I didn't want to leap to any conclusions, but suffice it to say that when someone threatens to throw you in Tokyo Bay, that has got to be scary. Murata-san describes this guy as the most Yakuza-like client of Morimoto's, even more than the other Yakuza guy. The guy who kidnapped Morimoto, the one who stole his watch. This one was Yakuza-like as in, he'd been in the newspaper so many times that he can't get a legitimate bank account. And if you couldn't tell by now, he's a little unhinged. He made Murata-san come into his office for one long, coked-up lecture. They were yelling at me for about an hour. <laughs> More, so stressful, trying to get me to draft a sworn statement. 
that if Morimoto went into hiding, I, in good faith, would be responsible for this restitution of their property. I just want to stop for a second here and say that when Murata-san was telling us this, you know, it was clearly an upsetting time for him. But still, he was just so darn excited to tell us all about it. <laughs> or maybe it's a little easier for him to stomach if he laughs through it. Because that wasn't the last time he saw this scary client by a long shot. He even got his money back. But somehow, for reasons even I don't understand, I got stuck managing the account of Morimoto's nightmare client. I can't even imagine what it's been like for Murata-san. You work your way up from being an accountant, filing boring tax returns and filling out paperwork, handling difficult clients all day, just waiting for the day that you can run your own firm, only to get stuck as the personal accountant to this day for the worst possible client someone could ask for. You know, the client can't even make his own bank account. I had to use money out of my own pocket and beg the bank to make an account. And now the money's really rolling in. What he does breaks a bunch of pharmaceutical laws or something, but what do I know? I'm just a tax accountant. You got a feel for Murata-san. He's cleaning up after Morimoto, hemorrhaging cash, trying to salvage his reputation. So if you're listening in and you're back in the U.S. and you're thinking, take him to court, lock him up, sue his ass. But it's not that easy. In fact, it's really difficult in Japan to get the police or the courts to take on a case like this. Murata-san tried. I filed a report to the police in March, but they don't take on these cases because they aren't supposed to intervene in civil affairs. Same thing happened with Morimoto's previous firm. Even if they were to file a civil case, Murata-san and the other firms still won't be able to access his finances and get their money back, which makes the case basically useless. And if they were somehow to file a criminal case, it almost certainly wouldn't be investigated. Japan's 99% conviction rate is only possible because the police and the prosecutors have a bad habit of only taking slam-dunk cases, meaning ones where all the evidence is there, the details of the crime are rock-solid, they have a confession, and they know where to find the criminal. And that was not the case here. More after the break. Morimoto vanished, but not quite without a trace. About a year after he disappeared, Murata-san noticed some unusual activity on his credit card. You think of suspicious credit card activity, and you might expect some out-of-state ATM withdrawals or a few hundred on gas and snacks. But let me tell you, none of us even came close to guessing what Morimoto was getting up to on his ex-boss's credit card. He signed off for all these sugar daddy sites. Can you even imagine if my wife found out? <laughs> I'm suddenly a sugar daddy now? Me? They just showed up on my credit card statement. Totally caught me off guard. Morimoto was finding women online pretending to be rich and ready to hand out money in exchange for their time and company, and maybe more. All on Murata-san's dime. Murata-san did the most sensible thing anyone could do in this situation. He got on the phone with a credit card company. It's clearly fraud, so they'd reimburse him, right? You might think so, but nope. The credit card company told Murata-san that fraud or not, he needed to contact this sugar daddy company himself. If he wanted the charges removed, he was going to have to do it on his own. Why? Probably because sugar daddy clients often actually spend the money and later claim it's fraud when they're caught by their wives. It happens so often, the card companies refuse to deal with it. So Murata-san got on the phone 
yelled at the customer service staff at Sugar Daddy LLC and managed to get his money back. Morimoto was pretty active on there. He had been spending about $100 every other day on different women. The final bill was around $5,000, which sounds like a lot, but honestly, it's not that much by Sugar Daddy standards. This guy is stingy. Even when he's playing around with money he stole. This whole ordeal wasn't all for nothing. Murata had managed to do something other people had been trying to do for a long time. By finding that account on the Sugar Daddy site, he got a lead on Morimoto. Not only was Morimoto a terrible, flaky employee, he's a terrible, flaky sugar daddy, too. There's this website where it has all these reviews calling him a toxic daddy. So this one time, he apparently arranged to meet up with his girl. So they're texting, and he asked her what she was wearing so he could identify her. But I guess he didn't think she was that cute. Because as soon as she responded, he went totally silent. I mean, you kind of feel bad for the girl. We sort of had to see for ourselves. We pulled up his profile. Okay, Morimoto, wow, he's using his real name. 33 years old, six feet tall, making six figures. Yeah, okay, everything there is a lie, except the height. Lives in Tokyo. Frequent business trips to the countryside. No profile picture? Yeah, that's it. One review did include Morimoto's Line account. Line is a messaging app in Japan. When Murata-san looked it up, it had a soccer ball profile picture, the same one Morimoto had been using for years. But when he tried using it to contact Morimoto, he did not get a response. Murata-san didn't hear anything from Morimoto for a long, long time. But one day, out of the blue, he got an email. He actually sent me an apology email recently, asking for his job back. I mean... I think it's common knowledge that we pay better than other firms. Besides the fact that that's the most pathetic combined apology and job application email ever sent, it wasn't just surprising, it really scared Murata-san. Because if Morimoto was bold enough to come out of hiding to ask him for a job, there's no telling what he might do next. Still, Murata-san played along. He sent a message back. Sure, they could talk about a job. He asked Morimoto to just send a picture of his ID, which Murata-san intended to immediately send to the police. But just as suddenly as he had popped up, Morimoto disappeared. He never responded. And honestly, Murata-san was relieved that he didn't have to outright turn him down and suffer the potential consequences. He's just so unpredictable. It's so scary. Like, I'm afraid that if I just ignore him or tell him no, he could burn my office down in the middle of the night or try and kill me. I don't know. He doesn't have anything to lose. He's basically a psychopath. I'd like you to meet him yourself. Then you would understand. Yeah, we would like that too. Murata-san was really energized as he told these stories. But there were times when the curtain dropped just a bit. His smile got a little thinner, and he'd realize that at the end of the day, this man is another victim. He'd suffered more than me, Steve, or possibly anyone else out there. He's lost a lot of money that he'll never get back. He's been threatened by some dangerous people, and while no one blames him, he still had to clean up the mess as much as he could. And that meant dipping into his personal funds and spending hours of his time and energy to make amends. It also really messed up his head. Because even at the first signs of trouble, Murata-san believed 
and protected Morimoto. Why? Murata-san felt he had a responsibility to take care of his employees. He wanted Morimoto to know that he was on his side, that he trusted him. And in return, Morimoto took advantage of him to lie again and again. The experience made him question his ability to judge people, to sort out what was real and what was not. How can you not become just a little paranoid about everything? Even to this day, Murata-san is still vigilant on all matters Morimoto. <sighs> yeah, I still Google him, like, once a month, see if anything comes up. He scours newspaper articles, social media, trade magazines, and yes, sugar daddy sites for any mention of Morimoto. And where he's most worried about finding him is the employee directory at an accounting firm. But even if he did find him, he still feels like he'd be helpless against Morimoto. Even if I met him, there's nothing to say. There's no point in saying things like, you idiot. I like to say, give me my money back, but it won't come back. Look, no one can touch him. Honestly, I'm more scared of him than I am of the Yakuza. Maybe I could follow him and find out where he lives. But at the end of the day, he must be the toughest person in Japan because the police can't lay a finger on him and neither can the Yakuza. Even if I took him to court and won, he still wouldn't give me back the money. And if I punched him, well, I'll be the one who's getting arrested. Despite all this, Murata-san still hopes Morimoto shows up. But as messy as Morimoto was, you have to give it to him. He did a really, really good job at disappearing. There are a bunch of theories about how Morimoto went missing. There's the tape of a night-moving company helping him move in the middle of the night. They might have helped him adjust to his new life and told him how to stay hidden. He might have been playing it by ear. Because it's unlikely a professional would encourage him to come out of hiding and ask Murata-san for a job. But other than that, it's almost like he did it by the book. This isn't just a figure of speech. You wouldn't believe how much literature there is on how to vanish and start over. Who to tell, what to bring, where to go, how to avoid getting caught, literally step by step. My home is full of these books. Over the years, I've seen manuals pop up at the scene of a crime and abandoned in the libraries of people long gone. In a way, the manuals are motives, alibis, perpetrators, and sometimes accomplices. It just depends on how they show up and how you look at it. As you'd expect from a genre that guides readers through the underworld, they can be pretty dark. Of course, there are manuals for making yourself disappear, but there are also manuals for making someone else disappear permanently. Finding these shady publishers or finding the authors behind these books can be a Herculean task. So to get answers, we're going to have to embark on a strange journey, starting from my library to the mean streets of Shinjuku and even to a positively surreal American sitcom-themed cafe all the way in Singapore. Next time on The Evaporated, when it comes to vanishing, there's a manual for that. And we're about to hit the books. The Evaporated, Gone with the Gods, is a production of Campside Media with Sony Music Entertainment. It was reported by Jake Adelstein and myself, Shoko Planbeck. This episode was written by Amy Planbeck and myself. Our producer is Tisanka Siripala. The executive producer is Josh Dean. Story editing by Josh Dean and Amy Planbeck. 
fact-checking by Anika Robbins and Himari Iwamoto. Sound design, mix, and engineering by Taka Yasuzawa, with assistant engineering by Yurosh Jovanovic and Alex Portfelix. Additional reporting and production assistance by Himari Iwamoto. Voice acting on this episode by Nozomi Delongsan. Editorial support by Aliyah Papes, Doug Slaywin, and Destiny Dingle. The executive producers at Campside Media are Josh Dean, Vanessa Gregoriadis, Adam Hoff, and Matt Scheer. If you enjoyed The Evaporated, Gone with the Gods, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite app. It really does help other people find the show. And if you'd like to listen to all nine episodes of Gone with the Gods now, ad-free, subscribe to Sony Music's binge channel on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.